Okay, so as we come to the, um, well, I guess this isn't the final lesson. These are the the last three chapters. We'll put um, we'll put forty and forty one together today in the book of Job. Um, this is going to be the last speech that the Lord gives um, gives to Job before Job utterly breaks down and and repents as well he should. Um, but uh, there are going to be some some hard questions to answer, and uh, I'll go ahead and tell you at the at the outset that um, there's a lot of disagreement about uh, the nature of uh, forty and forty one as far as uh, what God is is saying. There's not not much disagreement about what it means, um, but. Particularly, there's a lot of disagreement about the identification of Behemoth and Leviathan, um, and God uses those two figures, Behemoth and Leviathan, to um, to uh, challenge Job as to uh, it, it, he basically asks Job if if he is able to uh, rule the creation. Uh, in chapter thirty-eight, thirty-nine, we saw God was mainly focused upon the management of. Uh, creation we we you know he asked job do you know all the animals are you able to tell me why the ostrich and why the mountain goat and uh you know are you able to call the thunder and to tell me <clears throat> where the storehouses of snow you know he he was talking about god's care and god's management over um, over the creation and in chapter 40 and 41 um he is talking about uh, authority He's talking about rule. He's talking about sovereignty. He's talking about power. Um, he's talking about, um, he's questioning Job, asking him, do you have the power? Do you have the authority? You know, are you, you're questioning my authority about the way that things are run, about the way the universe is structured. Um, let's turn the tables and take a look at your authority. And let's remember before we get into it, I'm probably not going to read all of chapter of. Uh, 40 or 41, really, because um, there's some long discourses in there where God is basically just describing, um, you know, the way Behemoth acts, the way he lives under the lotus plant, the the terrible nature of Leviathan and, and all those things. So I'd encourage you just to go and read verse, uh, chapter 40 and 41. You can download the outline from jasonvalada.com and, and you can look at uh, how I've outlined the chapters. Um, if you want some good commentary on, um, you know, with with footnotes and 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 uh, scholarly source material, um, I have found throughout the throughout the the series of, of looking at these this book, the Book of Job, that uh, Christopher Ash's commentary on the Book of Job has been invaluable. Um, uh, it's a part of a commentary series. I can't think of it right now, but Christopher Ash is the author. And of course, the uh, uh, I want to say Jeff Hartley. I'm doing this all on the fly, and let me look. Um, is it Hartley? John Hartley. John Hartley has a, a commentary on the Book of Job. I think it's the the New International Commentary on the Old Testament Book of Job. Is John Hartley? It is. It has got some um, good scholarly material. Good. Um, a good bibliography, if nothing else, of, of books and, and articles and um, 
journals to read on on the book of Job. So go look at those if if you're wanting some deeper study. Um, but I can already tell you that there are a lot of people that disagree about who what exactly he's talking about when he's talking about Behemoth and Leviathan. But let me go ahead and I can spoil the story for you before we even get into it. The purpose of him speaking about Behemoth and Leviathan, whether you see them as um, uh, uh, regular old natural animals, uh, hippopotamus and crocodile is the ones that are usually uh, put forward, or whether you see them as indicative of um, of cosmic forces that Near Eastern mythology often spoke of. And I'll explain that a little bit. Um, no matter what you see them as, the, the point God's making is the same. And the point is, he's asking Job, Job, you can't even control these. How do you think you're going to control me? How do you think you can't stand flat-footed and challenge Leviathan? Um, but I created Leviathan, and how how are you going to stand before me and challenge me? You can't even master Behemoth and Leviathan. How do you think you're going to master uh, the creation that I've made? Who do you think you are? Is basically what he's asking. So let's get into it. Um, chapter forty. Um, I'm going to read um, a, a few verses, and then when he starts talking about Behemoth and Leviathan, I'll just start reading selected. Uh, verses, but I encourage you to please go read the whole thing and judge what I'm saying by what the text says. Um, not infallible, um, but I think I do have a handle on on what's going on here. Uh, Job chapter forty, uh, verses one through eight, are another just relentless questioning of Job. I mean, after chapter thirty eight and thirty nine, you would think. Uh, I mean, I could see. Uh, Job's saying, okay, I got the message. You know, I, I'm not going to say anything else like that again. I'm not going to do that again. Um, God tells Job, he says, And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He's he's basically, uh, you know, he's he's telling Job, Who do you think you are to find fault with what I'm doing? He said, uh, You're a fault finder. You, you're looking at the Almighty God, the creator of heavens and, and the earth, the sovereign one, the one who knows all things, can do all things, uh, is is omniscient, om, omnipresent, uh, and, and you're finding fault with me. He says, uh, he who argues with God, let him answer. He's talking to Job, arguing with God. Uh, and that's the basic uh, – let me summarize what we've seen before just in case um, we've forgotten or you're new to the series. Um, uh, Job's sin that God is chastising him for is not uh, some secret sin that caused his suffering. Uh, we're, we've been very clear throughout the book of Job that Job had done nothing sinful to cause the suffering that he went through. Um, Job is explicit in that point. Yet, in the midst of his suffering, um, he sinned by, quote-unquote, calling God out on the carpet. He, he, uh, he basically wanted God to come and vindicate him. He wanted God to hear his case um, before the the three so-called counselors who came to uh, to uh, minister to him, he wanted he wanted God to come and vindicate him. Vindicate him. He wanted to uh, come and question God as to why the things happened the way they did. He wanted to basically put God on trial, and it's for this sin that God 
finally shows up and rebukes him. All the things that God is telling Job have to do with the words that Job has said, not the actions that he has done. He has sinfully responded to God rather than uh, you know, dumb, done some secret sin that has caused his suffering. And so that is what God's complaint with Job is. And that's why he comes with, uh, you know, out of the whirlwind and uh, questions Job. He's saying, You've, you're arguing with me. He says, he who argues with God, let him answer it. And then Job's response is classic. He says, uh, verse 3 says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I think Job is finally getting the message. He says, I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Job is um, hes unable to answer God's rebuke. Uh, he's admitting that he is, he's too insignificant. To, uh, to answer any questions that God is asking him. Uh, of course, we know that God has unleashed a litany of questions that there's no way Job can answer. Uh, chapter 38, 39 are, I mean, they're relentless over and over. Can you do this? Do you know this? Can you do that? Just over and over again, God has just unleashed this upon him. And uh, it, it probably... Uh, you probably could have heard Job's jaw drop when uh, when God appeared to him and and uh, started asking him. Um, but the root of the issue is that Job has he's already spoken pretty presumptuously about God, um, and here he is uh, repentant of that, and he chooses not not to make the same mistake again. He said, "I've spoken once, and I will not answer twice." But I'm not going any farther. I'm not going to chase this rabbit anymore. I, I've learned my lesson. Um, but God is not going to let Job off the hook so easily. Um, the rest of chapter 40 and all of chapter 41 are, are God's, I mean, he just, he lets Job have it with more and more questions about uh, behemoth and leviathan. Um it says, verse 6 says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. He said the same thing in chapter 38. He says, I will question you, and you make it known to me. He says, Will you even put me in the wrong? That's the complaint. Um, that uh, uh, it, God is basically summoning Job to, uh, to display... Uh, his accusation of God's injustice. He says, you, you think you're going to put me in the wrong? Verse 8 says, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Um, and that's the, that's the crime, the sin of which Job is guilty, is that he has um, chosen to call God unjust rather than to recognize his own frailties, his own... Uh, sinful proclivities up until a certain point in the book of Job, Job was in the right. Um, and God even said so in the beginning of the book. Um, Job was in the right when he stood firm in his integrity. He stood firm in his faith. Uh, he didn't let the counselors talk to him um, and tell him that God had gone back on his promises, uh, that the sacrifices that Job had made were no good, uh, that Job was hiding secret sins or something like that. He stood firm, and, and, the, and the Bible praises him for doing so. But as the suffering continued, Job started looking for answers. And 
the the problem was not that uh, the problem was not that Job was looking for answers. The problem was not that Job asked the question why. So many people say that you know you're not supposed to ask God why. Um, it doesn't seem to me that that was the issue. The issue was when God didn't show up and explain after Job asked why. Job started verbally attacking God. He started saying, well, I call, but he doesn't answer. And I look for him and he's not there and he's hiding himself from me and he's doing those things. It seems like by Job's words, he was putting God in the wrong. And he was holding up his own uh, integrity at the expense of God's. And so the rest of the the chapter is going to be, are you as strong as me? Are you as powerful as me? Uh, do you have the same authority that I have? Verse 9 says, Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Uh, this is the height of sarcastic language here. Verse 10 says, Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Uh, he's saying, well, go on and put your big boy pants on. Go on and put your divine clothing on if you're so powerful. You have an arm like God, and you thunder with a voice like his. If you can if you can rule this universe better than I can, go on and, and dress yourself with the divine robes. Go on and clothe yourself with glory and splendor. And I see Job standing there. Uh, Job can't clothe himself with anything. Um, you know, picture Picture yourself standing like, on a cliff, uh, and, and is just empty below you. And God is, is, I don't even know if we can picture what God is look like or whatever, but God's standing there looking at Job and he says, well, go on and clothe yourself with glory. Then let me see it. And Job's standing there going, uh, now, of course, you know, God, can do that with a thunderous voice. He can say, let there be, and there is. He can say, let there be light, and boom, there's light. He can say, you know, he, all these things proceed from the word uh, of his of His voice. Uh, but Job can't do anything like that. So God tells Job, well, go on and clothe yourself with glory. And Job stands there, um, I can't clothe myself with glory. Uh, the next thing it says in verse 11 it says, verse 11 and 12, he says, well, go on and go on and punish the wicked then, bad boy. If you think the wicked need to be punished more than I'm pun able to punish them, if you think the management of this universe is not up to your specifications, go on and you do it. Uh, verse 11 says, pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. And God says, then will I acknowledge, will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. You see, what he's saying is, he's saying, Job, uh, if you're so powerful, if you're so mighty, if you're so understanding, then speak the word. Speak the word that will bring everyone who is proud low. And speak the word that will tread the wicked where they stand. Uh, go on and punish them. Go on. Here you're standing on the mountaintop speaking to God. Uh, let your voice loose and uh, tread down the wicked uh, with just the call of your voice. Utter the command and let's see if the creation obeys you. And of course, 
no, nobody's obeying Job. I mean, he can call as loud as he can from the mountaintop, and it's not going to do any good. The wicked are still going to go on being wicked. The people are going to still go on doing what they do. The sun's going to rise. The sun's going to set. The animals are going to do what they do. Job has no authority um, to command anything. But God does. When what God utters, it comes to pass. And so this is hugely sarcastic. I don't think I don't think it could be more sarcastic. God is saying, "Well, put on put on your robes and uh, ordain yourself with power and glory, and just call out on the creation, and let's see if it obeys you." And of course, it 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 doesn't. Um, it doesn't even come close. Um, Job's commands mean absolutely nothing he doesn't possess the authority he doesn't possess the power to uh, command the creation to do anything well from verse 15 in chapter 40 all the way through 41 god is going to use the picture of these animals uh, these things behemoth uh, the land animal and leviathan the sea dragon you know, sea creature for lack of a better word now, um, like I said there are going to be commentators all over the spectrum um, and it, it's not I, I don't feel like that you need me to tell you definitively whether it's an actual animal or whether it's you know the embodiment of near eastern culture all those things um, there's cases to be made for both sides. If you look, uh, Leviathan is used um, also, you know, in Scripture, and uh, it's used in Psalm 104. Um, it's used in Isaiah 27, um, in different places. Uh, I think Psalm 85, maybe, in Psalm 74. Psalm 74, uh, Leviathan is used, and it, in those places. Um, well, just just for example, um, in, uh, in in Psalm one hundred four, let me look at it here, verse twenty five and twenty six. It says, "Here is this is Psalm one hundred four. It says, Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great, great, great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. So there." It's, I mean, it's, they're singing a song about this great creature, Leviathan, that God formed to play in the ocean. Now, uh, of course, there are still great creatures that you can find in the ocean. Uh, you know, there's uh, uh, pictures now of uh, giant sea squid, you know, 30-something feet long or however, you know, however big it is. It's huge, huge. And there's all kind of, uh, you know, dinosaurs that uh, I believe that man and dinosaurs lived during the same period. It wasn't billions and billions and billions of years before mankind showed up. And this is not the place to make that case. So I, I'm just letting you know my presuppositions before we go on. Um, but there's also a case to be made because Job is a book of Hebrew poetry. And it's it's in many different cases, God uses what's called hyperbole, poetic hyperbole. Um, and what that means is it's just overemphasis for effect. I mean, when you talk about 
the descriptions of these armor platings, you know, in Leviathan's back and uh, no spear can hurt him and fire coming from his mouth. And um, there are elements of Hebrew poetry in this. It does not mean that it's not a true account, does not mean that it's some kind of fiction, does not mean that it's not inspired. Um, but you have to, even if you, even if you label these hippopotamus and crocodile, like most people do, or some kind of dinosaur, you still have to acknowledge the poetic element in this. It is, it is, um, it is not a, it, it's not a biological textbook. It's not meant to give you the, the genus species and the attributes of these animals. What it's meant to do is to paint this picture for you of uncontrollable evil, uncontrollable chaos, uncontrollable um, natural uh, things, all which were created by God and only he has the authority to rule over them. So I can see in some aspects where you know, I, I mean, I for a long time, I was firmly convinced that these were primordial animals, dinosaurs or whatever. And it still could be the case. I'm not not discounting that at all. It still could be uh, in, in ancient Egypt, ancient Near East, the, the hippopotamus and the crocodile were were mythical creatures. You know, they had their own huge backstory and uh, you can read uh, excerpts from uh, 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 books and tablets that um, Pharaoh, I think it was Thumos Third, who wrote praising you know the crocodile like it was some kind of god or something, something like that. So there is elements in this that reflect what could what he could be using. He could be using the language of the day to demonstrate to Job that he's not in control. Whatever you take these to be as, whatever you whatever you um, decide, or whether or not you make a decision at all as to what's being referred to here, um, the point is still the same. The point is that God alone has the power uh, and the authority to uh, manage, administer, and command these creatures, these forces, whatever you want to call them. And Job does not have the authority to do so. Uh, he goes into great detail saying, you know, uh, if you stand before Leviathan, this will be the only time you do it. You won't do it twice. Uh, let me just read some of these, and then we'll go back and look at them, and we'll look at them again. Um, in, in verse 15, it says, Behold behemoth, which I made as I made you. You see that God is saying, I made this behemoth in the same way that I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength in his loins and the power in the muscles of his belly. You know, when I read that, I, I've always thought of like the brontosaurus kind of animal, you know, and it could be. Um, but I think to, that uh, because of the the... The poetic way that it's described, I mean, it, it uh, it's encompassing more than just, "Hey guys, this is a this is a big this is a big animal." Um, it's encompassing the the language of the day, the stories of the day, the the myths and the legends that were used uh, by pagan people, by 
the Mesopotamians, the Egyptians, the Sumerians, all all those had their they had their own creation myths, and most of those myths involved uh, some form of a of a good god that had to do battle with an evil force. Uh, and you know, there's different kinds. You have uh, you know uh, all, all kinds of different you know Egyptian, Sumerian, Babylonian, those kind of things. You had different uh, myths, different legends from every culture. Um, but m- almost all of them had uh, uh, some kind of divine war going on uh, from which the creation sprang. You know, the two gods fighting and the good god won. And, you know, he's battling the evil god and the creation is the result of the things that happened. It's always like that. But in the book of Job, um, the god is God is the sole creator. He has the sole authority over all of creation. Yes, there is Behemoth, the great monster of the land, or whatever. Yes, there is Leviathan, who, who personally I consider to be the embodiment of evil, uh, the same as the dragon in Revelation and the serpent in Genesis. He is the the embodiment of uh, uh, of all that is uh, evil. He is the the satanic picture. Uh, of of what Satan is like, and I, I personally believe that also because the uh, of the structure of the Book of Job, it begins with Satan being unleashed, and it ends by showing God's control over uh, Satan. He at the beginning, God controlled him. He said, "You can go this far, no farther. You cannot take his life. You cannot do what you've not been allowed to do." And then at the end, uh, God is asking Job, he's like, well, can you control all of this? Can you control the embodiment of of evil? Can you control the the sea monster? Can you control these cosmic forces of, of whatever? No, you can't. And therefore, you have no right to question me because I am God and I can control these things. And that's the point. So whether you take them as dinosaurs or in, uh, picturesque ways to view actual natural animals or whether you take them to be you know cosmic forces that are used uh you know by the language of the day to explain the way the world is however you take these poetic things to be um, the point is still the same the point is that god is in control of them whatever they are god is in control of all things even satan himself if you want to go that route even satan himself is god's creature. He is not an equal, he is not an equal being with God. And so often I have to correct people's notions, especially young people who think that God and Satan are locked in an everlasting struggle and who's going to win and oh no, we don't know. And then, you know, no. God is all powerful. Satan is a creature. And the only thing that Satan can do, if if anything, the book of Job has taught us this, the only thing that Satan can do is what God has allowed him to do. And if Satan is unleashed onto your life, onto my life, onto Job's life, it's because God has allowed it for a good purpose. And that is the clear and unambiguous message of the book. And so when he's describing behemoth, he says, you know, the power of his muscles and his tails like a cedar tree and his bones are tubes of bronze and limbs, bars like iron. Uh, He's the first of the works of God. Um, He challenges Job when he's 
talking about this right in the middle of his description of behemoth in verse 19 it says he is the first of the works of god talking about behemoth is um he says he says let him who made him bring near his sword he's saying do you if you are the ultimate creator if you are the master of the universe if you are the ultimate authority go get your sword jack go bring your sword and you know let me see you conquer this behemoth let me see you conquer him and if you're able then i'll know then i'll know that you really are who you think you are and that's his that's his point with both behemoth and leviathan uh when he starts in chapter 41 he's asking um he he asks the if uh, uh can you subdue Leviathan, can you catch him, you know, like a fish with a fish hook? Or can you press down his tongue with a cord? That's verse 1 in chapter 41. Uh, can you pull, can you put a rope on his nose and pierce his jaw with a hook? He, he's talking about fishing. Can you, can you, if you're so great and so powerful, can you subdue uh, Leviathan? Can you tame him? Can you overcome him? Uh, will Leviathan submit to you? That verse 3 and 4 say, Will he make pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Uh, he said, is, is this great creature of the deep, this great embodiment of evil, if this powerful thing before which all men shudder, is he going to bow down to you? Um, no. The answer is clearly no. I don't think he is. Uh, he's not going to bow down to you at all. Uh, the truth is that no man, no man can stand before Leviathan. Uh, and that's the point of the, the passage. If you look down at verse 8 in chapter 41, he says, lay your hands on him. He's talking about Job, go grab Leviathan. And he says, remember the battle. He says, you will not do it again. <laughs> I love that language. He says, if you do grab a hold of him, and think that you're going to wrestle Leviathan, you make sure you remember it because you won't do it again. I promise you. Uh, verse 9 says, Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. I, uh, just a natural example. You know, we uh, I took the youth group to uh, Orange Beach, Alabama this year, this summer, and it just so happened, uh, you know, providentially enough, that uh, the week that we were there, uh, staying in a you know a beach house and and going swimming in the ocean and all those things was Shark Week on the Discovery Channel, and so we spent the days in at the beach and playing in the water, and then we spent the nights watching these big great white sharks swimming around in the on the Discovery Channel, and it freaked the the youth out bad. They were scared to get in the water. Um, and if you've ever been in the water with a shark, uh, it doesn't even have to be a big, huge shark, a, a little two or three foot shark in the water. When you're swimming around with it, uh, it looks like a big sea monster and all you really want is out of the water. I can promise you. And so when you, uh, you know, you can say a person, I'll tell you what I'd do if I seen a shark, I'd punch him in and no, oh, yeah. Okay. Whatever. If you actually seen one. You know, if you've seen a bear, I, we we were in the mountains one time and a bear came. It didn't attack us or anything like that. It was just walking down the hill as we were sitting there. It smelled our food and came close. If you ever saw one of those, uh, I promise you, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, it, it's a frightening, frightening thing. Well, here God is 
tells Job that uh, that the hope of man is false. And verse 9 says, he is laid low even at the sight of him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine something huge with teeth and fang and those things? And Job standing before him, just the sight of him would break uh, his courage. Verse 10 says, no one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Um, who then, and here's the point of chapter 41, it says, no one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up, talking about Leviathan in verse 10, and verse 11 says, uh, at the uh, end of verse 10 says, who then is he who can stand before me? And that's really the point. He's saying, Job, you're not even at the top of your own food chain. Uh, you, the sight of Leviathan, um, the sight of him lays you low, and there is no one fierce enough to go and try to wake him up when he's sleeping. He says, how in the world, if you can't even stand before one of my creations, how are you going to stand before me and say that you owe me vindication, that you owe me something, you owe me a, a hearing, you owe me an explanation? Um, God says, no, I'm sorry, I don't. Verse 11 says, who has first given to me that I should repay him? I don't owe you anything, is what he says. And the second part of verse 11 says, Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Uh, verse 11, when he, says, when he says that, he says, I don't owe you. He says, who has first given to me? He says, you have given me nothing that I should repay you because everything that you can lay your hands upon is mine already. Everything that you are is mine already. Every breath that you take into your body is mine. Everything under the whole heaven is mine. And he says, verse 12 says, I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. And then he goes into a long discourse describing Leviathan. Uh, teeth uh, that are terrible. His back is made of shields and uh, you know, uh, they're joined together so nothing can get penetrate them. He, he sneezes, uh, f they flash forth light, uh, and his mouth, out of his mouth goes flaming tor torches. He, he just goes into great and utter detail describing this monster. Um, he, uh, it's just unfathomable the description that he gives smoke coming out of his nostrils I mean, the whole bit so if you uh, you just need to read um, chapter 41 and it culminates with what we said so far that um, the the reality is that well from verse 26 to verse 29 basically he tells job that there is no weapon that man can uh, obtain that's going to prevail against Leviathan. Uh, iron to him is like straw. Bronze is like wood. Um, the arrows don't scare him. The clubs, the you know, javelins, all those things. None of those can prevail against Leviathan. And the last, the last verses, thirty through thirty-four, um, basically say that there's no creature under heaven that can stand before him. Um, he makes the sea like a pot of ointment. You know, behind him he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white-haired, as if it was afraid of him. 
Verse 33 says, On the earth there is not his like a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. And so, the the point of this in the in the context of the book of Job is not to describe cool animals to you that used to live or to uh, catch us up on the, the the mythical descriptions of cosmic forces that prevailed in the ancient Near East. The point of this is for God to tell Job and by extension us um, that he is not subject to our judgments. He is not subject to our authority. And we have no right, Job has no right to um, disparage God's character when God doesn't show up exactly when Job thinks he should. He doesn't have a right to judge the way God is, uh, God is sovereign over the universe because man cannot even be sovereign over the creation, much less uh, the creator. Um, so, uh, in closing, I'll just read. I told you about John Harley's commentary on the book of Job, um, a segment in there um, that he uh, that he writes. You know, he goes and explains that you know it could be hippopotamuses and crocodiles, and it could be the the forces of evil in the, in ancient Near Eastern language. Um, but the point is that the point is that um, these forces, whatever they are, whether they're animals, whether they're giant dinosaurs, or, or just whatever, even if they are the embodiment of the forces of evil, the the dragon, the Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren, who is just unbridled evil, even if that's what we're speaking of here, they're never viewed as rival forces on a par with God. Um, God, God, he writes, I'll just quote him. He said, Yahweh, however, must defeat foes that threaten his purpose in the course of redemptive history. To convey the cosmic dimensions of these battles, Israel's enemies are labeled Leviathan and Rahab. And that takes place in Isaiah 27, Isaiah 51, Psalm 74, 13 and 14, and Psalm 89. So what he says is apocalyptic literature concerned with the cosmic dimensions of conflict between good and evil that also employs the terms behemoth and leviathan to represent primordial cosmic forces in conflict with God. Uh, those same words, behemoth and leviathan, are found in these are these are not scriptural books. Uh, First Enoch, Fourth Ezra, Second uh, Baruch. Um, they are not scriptural books, but they're books that use the same language to describe cosmic dimensions, and so. In the end result, um, the end result is it, I have an opinion, and I and I could make a case for my opinion and all those things. But the purpose of the purpose of the chapters are, are not to describe these and give us um, give us uh, definite answers as to what dinosaurs look like or, or or something crazy like that. The point of this, God is speaking as if Job knows exactly what he's talking about. He's not speaking about something Job doesn't know about. 
he's speaking of something that Job is well aware of in language that Job can that can, he can comprehend perfectly. And uh, the point of which is that, Job, you are not in control. Job, you do not have the authority to call me out and say, I want you, I'm going to ask you some questions and you owe me an explanation. Job doesn't have that authority. And Job is going to realize that. And chapter 42 is going to open with a big gulp from Job. He's going to say, I am so sorry that I ever questioned and that is the point of the book. It's instructive for us that Job is never answered as to why he suffered so much, why everything was taken from him. Um, when he does ask for answers and calls God out for not appearing, right? When he wants God to appear, uh, God takes him to court and questions him. And the evidence shown forth demonstrates that Job doesn't have a leg to stand on when he faces the one true God with his objections.